Is it a little loud out there? Hey, turn the sound down, man. I don't want to be screaming at everybody. <clears throat> All right. Let's talk about visions, promises, and faith. How about that today? I like this subject a lot. So if you look at your ally, I don't want to talk about receiving visions and promises. As soon as we're saved, as soon as you cross that line into the kingdom of God and you just begin to worship Jesus, God begins to use visions, dreams, and the scriptures to guide you. We're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and we fulfill them by walking in faith. And that's Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. I just want to read that for a minute. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works that no one should boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that a startling thing? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? There are things that you were born for, prepared to do. God knew you would come to Jesus. He knew you would get saved. And there's works that are set aside especially for you. And those works are accomplished largely through visions, the communication to you of what you're supposed to do, promises, God telling you what you're to receive, what you're to do, what if you do this, what's going to happen, and what he has for you. And, of course, faith. So I want to just talk about that and review them a little bit in the scripture. Uh, and um, I just love these verses. I want to just read Ephesians uh, 2 again, verses 8 to 10. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. So even the faith that you get for salvation came from God. He was in on it, right? Not by works and no one should boast. So God was a part of it. The whole thing, you responded, but the Lord made it possible for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there are good works. There are things that you're supposed to do that nobody else can do. You'll do them by faith. You have to know what those works are, right, and understand who you are a little bit. And as you go on with your walk with the Lord, hopefully you understand. You begin to understand more and more who you are, what you're about, you know, and uh, and walk these things out. And it's the greatest privilege in the, in the world to walk out your destiny, especially in the Lord. Because, you know, there's some secret clauses in the Scripture, like all things work together for good, for them to love the Lord and to call according to His purpose. Is that a good one or what? Talk about an insurance policy. All things work together for my good. No matter how bad it is, whatever happens, God's going to turn it and make it work for me. Wow. What a promise. What a, what a life. So we do good works motivated by God, receiving God's compassion. And I want to just read a few passages from 1 John 4, 7, and just into a few more verses. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from where? God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Aren't you glad that love comes, uh, comes from God? So when you run short a little bit, <laughs> he fills you up again, right? He's the one. Love comes from God. And here's the best verse. We love because he first loved us. So it's because of the affection that we receive that we can be affectionate. We call this in new believers first love, but it's supposed to be replenished all the time and will be replenished by God's grace all the time. He's always about loving you no matter how bad it looks, no matter where you're at. And even if you're bad, 
it's possible to access that love even in the midst of the worst possible circumstance. Could I just say that again? It's possible to access God's love, the feeling, the impression, the understanding of God's love even in the worst circumstances. That's the bit of news that Satan does not want you to know because the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's, one of the things he's stealing is your affection, the affection of God loving you, feeling God's warmth on you. And uh, I'll tell you, I felt God's warmth on me just in the worship here. That's one reason why we do that, right? That's the best deal in town. You worship and then you feel affection, right? But God does it also in some of the strangest places in the strangest ways. One thing I think that's a real critical key to walking with God is what I call registering love. In other words, when God comes and gives you a divine hug, you know, uh, embracing him back, realizing that he's hugging you. There have been times in my life when I literally say out loud, how are you doing this? I want to be in a bad mood. How are you doing this? You know, how are you loving me? How are, I can feel your affection right there. And I'm, I'm literally saying, no, I don't want any affection right now. I'm just mad, you know, like throwing a temper tantrum. But that, that's how good God is, and that's how available it is. One of, I think, our most amazing journeys that we take is learning that God loves us and then learning to access that and get into that space. And, of course, worship is one way we do that. But I'm talking about it in your everyday life and every life, you know, everyday circumstances as well. It's just such a beautiful thing to experience the love of God in the middle of a business meeting or in the middle of, you know, something that's not going so well and just feeling that divine hug and God brings that to us. <clears throat> so we also walk in faith to fulfill dreams, visions, and prophecies the Lord gives. Dreams, visions, and prophecies are part of the language of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that in Acts chapter 2. And uh, I want to just read these verses so. Right around Pentecost, we see uh, what happens, and the Spirit falls on everybody, and um, Peter stands up, and he begins to talk. And when Peter stood up with the eleven, he raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. We're in the last days right now, right? Sometimes we think maybe we're in the last last days. I don't know. But you know how you can gauge that? So a lot of people gauge it by trouble. I gauge it by the gospel. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. Then the end comes. So when you start hearing of the gospel being preached in the darkest parts of the earth and people, large numbers of people responding in every corner of the universe like Iran, China, right, Middle East, South America, everywhere, then you know we're close. And there's been, I'm an actual somewhat of a, a geek about this. I trace movements. I love to talk about movements and see where God's moving that he wasn't even 10 years ago or five years ago. And we are living in the most remarkable of time. But anyway, again, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit and all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Visions, promises, and faith. That's part of what we get on this outpouring. And even in this time that we're in right now, we would expect as God outpours the Spirit, not only evangelism, but also a new sight, new seeing, new vision, new awareness, new ministries, 
new dreams, dreams coming to pass, things that God gave us beginning to actually flourish and grow in this time. Abraham believed the vision God showed him for his life. When Abraham believed the Lord, it was credited to him as righteousness. At that moment, when he believed the Lord, and boy, I tell you what, God had a lot to say uh, to Abraham, didn't he? I mean, a lot of crazy things um, that uh, God said and, and hasn't said really to very many humans on the face of the planet, right? And experiences he had to go through that now many have gone through. After this, the word of the Lord, this is Genesis 15, came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram, Abram said, Sovereign Lord, can you, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have chosen, you've given me no children, so a servant of my household will be my heir. So God says, uh, I'm your shield, your very great reward. And he challenges him back. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> if you're my very great reward, where's my kid? Where's my son? Because in that culture, but I would say in lots of cultures, you know, as a, for a couple without a child, especially I'd say Middle Eastern culture, but other places too, it's, it's something that you put on your list. I mean, it has to happen, right? It's one of the things that most people really desire, and so he has all this stuff, but this one hasn't been checked yet, and his wife's getting older and older, and they're grieving. I, I want to stop and talk about that for a moment. I think there are things like that. Lots of things like that. Uh, different people, different experiences. Uh, so this sermon is maybe for one of those things that hasn't appeared yet that you've been looking for for a long time. So that's what this sermon's about. Visions, promises, and faith. And that's where Abram was before he became Abraham, right? And he's the father, the Bible says, of all who believe. So his example is one that we should follow and his story as well. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, but a son who is your flesh, own flesh and blood will be the, your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now the, at this point, okay, now. Okay. Abram, Abraham, long time ago, 4,000 years ago, long time ago, old guy in the Middle East. Wandering around the desert. What does that absolutely have to do with me? Well, it all depends on if your promises come yet. Things that you are, are near and dear to your heart. Things that you have to see. It's, not, it's almost like it's not want to see. You just have to see them happen, right? So this God comes and says, well, I'm going to make your offspring as many as these stars that appear. And <laughs> look at verse 6. Now, here's the critical thing. The word was spoken, and God still speaks today. He still talks to us today. The thing is, in your barrenness, can you hear it? That's the key. In your barrenness, in your absolute, absolute lack of whatever it is that you want. The key thing comes just like it was to Abram. The response was everything. Because the world moves, the spiritual world moves by faith. And the enemy wants to keep you in jail Throw the key away that you could ever experience that one thing. Maybe it's two things. Maybe it's a couple of things. But many of us have these things like Abraham. And so here's what Abraham did. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So there was something in him that received it. Something inside got it before he got it, right? Something internal turned on 
And then that paved the way for the natural for him to have a child. I, can I just, I just feel as I'm, I'm saying this, this is where we start with God. We believe the, the good news and we get saved. But it's just where we start. We have a whole life of believing for things, looking for things, especially things that have been delayed for a long time, especially blessings that we know are for us, right? So Abram is our great example of someone didn't have and God said he was going to have. And Abram somehow in his sorrow and his pain, I mean, some things are so bad we don't even want to talk about them anymore, right? We don't even want to talk about it anymore. It's so painful. It's been so many years, right? But just in case there might be one, maybe two of you in that space, this is where we start with God. We dare to believe the good news for us, even if it gets announced, maybe even announced through a source or a person or some situation that we're a little leery of, but it's clear. Matter of fact, sometimes announcements are made and we can't even hear them. We're in so much pain and we're so into ourselves and we're so convinced that God's either done us wrong by not answering the prayer or that and we're wounded or we just gave up and we just quit hearing. Hmm. I just got all kinds of things going through my head right now. So can I just pause for a moment? I feel a word from our sponsor. Uh, so there's one thing in particular uh, I think maybe I just pray with you about as an example. A lost son or daughter. Maybe you don't even know where they are right now, physically, and they need to come home, and it's been a long time. Could I just pray right now? I just want to say, I want to say prophetically. Look again. God wants to save that lost son or daughter. They're closer than you think. If that's you, if you are in that situation and you're contending with God about that, that's a real word that means something to you tonight, uh, today, this very morning. Raise your hand. Wow. Lost sons and daughters, you come home now. Come home to Jesus. May God give you a divine appointment in the next two weeks. May the Lord cause movement and change that we can register, that we can see. May the Lord take off you the discouragement, the disillusionment, and the fear. And may the Lord put in you a heart of faith. May you start fervently interceding and believing and watching for salvation of your children. I declare this promise over all of us. All your children, all my children, we taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. That's the scripture. All your children, we taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. All, none left out, your children, we taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. Wow, it's glad when God speaks back. It's good. Amen. So sometimes slowness of heart or laziness even, laziness, we just stop contending, we stop looking, we stop sowing toward the miracle that we need. Slowness of heart can cause you to miss the promises God has for you. 
Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help him. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you, here's an interesting word, (laughs) to become lazy. Just leave it up to chance or somebody else. Your prayers make a difference, especially someone that you're close to or whatever the situation. But to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Isn't that word interesting? Lazy. In other words, don't leave that problem on the back burner. Don't leave it to a place where que sera, sera, right? And if there's anything you can do toward activating this, anything, sometimes God gives us a faith journey and we, he says, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you throw the net on the other side of the boat, right? So we just prayed over the situation with your kids and there's other situations, right? So maybe there's something God wants you to do. Maybe you need to throw the net on the other side of the boat and he'll show you exactly how. Maybe a phone call, maybe a visit, maybe um, a kindness you show. I don't know. Anyway, it's an interesting. About this whole thing of promises, it's very interesting. We, and, I, and I love these verses because they help us understand that we are a part of our own answer. We look at Bible characters and we think way back then and they're famous or famous preachers or famous this or that. Actually, the most amazing adventure is your adventure with God as things that are not become alive and well again, right? So he says, we do not want you to become lazy. In other words, to just slough off this thing, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And of course, our example here is Abraham who waited and waited and waited and then finally the day came and Abraham says, well, oh, that Ishmael may live before you. <laughs> but that, that was kind of what he wanted, but it wasn't bullseye. It wasn't what he wanted, right? Right? And sometimes we settle there. It's okay. But listen, Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who, who would that be? Of the people in the Bible that are examples of how, through faith, they inherited the promises. And also our own people, people that we know around us, testimonies. That's why testimony is so cool. So cool to tell a testimony. Every time a testimony is uh, said, it just makes my heart come alive because I'm thinking, well, what are the possibilities for me, right? That's why witnesses are important. We overcome them by the word of our testimony, our being plural. Other people have a testimony. And so we hear it and we go, hmm, why not me? Why not me? So then he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In other words, let's don't give up. Tell you what, I, I hate giving up more than almost anything in the world. I even like uncomfortable when I see a person around me doing it. It just feels so bad. Don't give up. Never give up. While there's a sun in the sky and a sun on the throne, <laughs> don't give up, right? Fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus went through a little bit of problem in his life. He's our example. 
Aren't you glad that he's a Jesus, he's a God, the one we follow that went through trouble? And so, for the joy set before him, which would be you and I, and our problems, and our issues, he endured the cross. And he says, consider this, who endured such opposition, so that you'll grow weary and not lose heart. For two reasons. Jesus is our example of overcoming. Number two, Jesus is with us to help us overcome. He proved it by rising from the dead. And he helps all of us at all times. Sometimes I think maybe with regard to our problems, we just sort of take a break and say, well, maybe he's not home. It's as if like you would go to a, you know, an establishment and, and say, out for lunch. <laughs> Jesus is never out for lunch. So we shouldn't go out for lunch, <laughs> right? Or be out to lunch with regard to our situations. It's really, really important. God brings vision to your life as an invitation to partner with him. Everything starts with an invisible yes to his inv invitations and progresses with steps of faith. So we see this in this great example of Abraham, right? Again, uh, he takes him up to the, looks up at the sky, count the stars, if you count them, so shall your offspring be, be. And of course, he takes him on this journey to Canaan and the whole thing, right? And uh, but it's Abraham just keep kept having to say yes, even down to the place where he had to actually sacrifice and say yes to sacrificing his son, the one that was promised, which does not make any sense whatsoever. But it's in the book to remind us that sometimes our vision, sometimes our dreams, sometimes it looks like we have something and it goes south all of a sudden. But that's not the time to stop, right? Even when things look like they're going south, even when you thought you had it, sometimes those are the worst kind of disappointments. It's in your hand and then it gets stolen. Mm. I want to pray for anybody that feels like that. You had something and it was stolen. You had what you thought you wanted, and it just got ripped out of your hand. If that's you, raise your hand. Look how quickly everybody's hand went. Nobody had to stop and think about that. Like three-fourths of you just rose your hand. Okay. <laughs> so, Lord, according to this passage, Abram looked like he was supposed to sacrifice his son. He went through every motion to cause that to happen at God's behest. But the Lord showed, no, 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 no. That's not... Just wanted to see. And God brought it back. I just pray over every vision that's seemingly dying or has died in the name of Jesus. And I breathe life onto you and I bring you back in Jesus' name. I bring you back in Jesus' name. This more moment, this hour, I bring it into your consciousness, into your faith, which maybe has grown low Maybe you think God deserted you or left you in this situation. I declare he did not leave you. Your tank is full. God's still on the throne. He's still watching after that promise. Amen. And I pray something else. I pray you give evidence of that this very week or the next two weeks or so. And when you, we get the evidence, we would say thank you. And we would move on. Even a little sign that maybe the wind's changing. Things are rearranging. And we would respond to it and put our sail up catch that wind in Jesus name so if you look at Roman numeral 2 I want to talk about cultivating the field of dreams what I call the field of dreams in this context of visions promises and faith 
Visions and dreams for your life grow best in the soil of being other-centered, scripture-centered, and prayer-centered. So as you give your life away and you serve, as you stay centered on the great promises of God and don't let them go, you hold them. They're, they're your nourishment. They're your fight. They're your foundation, right? And prayer-centered, you're always praying. You don't go dark on God, even when things aren't going your way, even when things don't seem to be going, especially things that are precious to you. You keep on asking. You keep on knocking. You keep on seeking, right? And so what God has for us is, especially in these sort of issues, God actually uses them to help us to have a lifestyle of problem-solving and giving to others. And you'll notice if you do that, when you don't go to zero, but you just continue to sow toward other people and do the things God wants you to do, it causes the purposes and blessings God has for us to grow. And um, I'll tell you what, I, I don't want to be manipulative about this at all, but uh, and I don't want it to sound this way, uh, but I, I am telling you, I, I, I believe that there's a way to sow toward what you need from God. Just constantly sowing. A giving lifestyle is one of the greatest things you can do. So it's all encapsulated in the cross, isn't it? God gave his best through Jesus. He sowed it into the ground. And then what came out of it? Not only his own resurrection, but all of us. But there was a death and a life to it, right? And this is the key thing about giving. Giving in all kinds of ways. Giving our time, our energy. Giving is one of the most powerful things you can do in your life. Be a giver. Whatever that is. Whatever is required of you. Because here's the great secret of life. Well, let's, I'll go to verse 37 as well. This is good too. Don't judge. Even God don't judge. Don't judge Him. <laughs> right? Ah, you're not real. Man, you give to everybody else. You know, I thought we had a deal here. <laughs> and you'll not be judged. Do not condemn and you'll not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it'll be given to you. Happiest people I know are the most generous people around. Give and it'll be given to you. Prove that one. Once you get that lesson learned in your spiritual walk, once you get the hang of that, you'll never let go of it. You run to give your tithes, your offerings, your be, be good to somebody, stop the side of the road or something. You'll actually, you'll chase it down. <laughs> you see it as an opportunity, right? I love to talk to businessmen. There's some business people I know. They're always looking for an opportunity to sow because they learn the art of it. They understand how this thing works. You know, they're business people, so they learn how transactions work. If I do this, I get this much business. So I do this, I get that. And when they learn the art of giving, they get really, really, it's funny to watch them sometimes. They're looking for opportunities, ways, just like they're, they're ready, like with a ready button, right? Because here's what happens. Give, and it what? Will be given to you. But, oh, yeah, sure. But wait, what else? Oh, not just anything happens, but a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Whoa! That's what I call an opportunity. And once you test it a few times, try it out a little bit over a course of your life or a few years, man, I tell you what, you cannot wait to be the first one 
to sow because you know it's just a matter of time before it comes right back on your own head. And then God gives you more, and then you do it again. Oh, I feel so sorry for people who have not learned this principle. You're, you're in total bondage. I'm not saying because it's because we need more money around here. <laughs> I'm really not. I'm just saying it for your sake. Be a giver. Be generous. And then expect God to bring more. And then be more, better and more and more and more. Say, so, well, I don't have the gift of giving. <laughs> well, granted, there are some people that are better at this than others, but what a... Don't do that with yourself. Oh, my gosh, man. Make yourself a giver whenever you can. But here's the promise, and it's really big. It's a big deal. And it's in, sewed into the very fabric of creation and the universe. Jesus sows his life. God gives his best for the likes of you and me. And then he raises him from the dead and creates a whole bunch of little Jesuses running around, right? <laughs> Which is driving the devil absolutely crazy. Never be afraid of the roar of the enemy. If he roars really loud, it's because the church is roaring at him right now. And he's compensating. <laughs> he's compensating. Did you know right now, there's an unparalleled movement of the gospel in the whole world today. And this gospel of the kingdom we preach to the whole world, and then the end comes. And if it's moving quickly, if it's moving this quickly, then the enemy knows his time is near. He's trying to make it like, oh, hell's breaking loose and there's nothing good happening. It's wrong. Just go to the places where the gospel is heard the least and you will find new life. Almost every single country and place in the world where the gospel has not been, the gospel either has invaded or is on the edge of it. And we're living in a generation that has never seen that in the whole history of earth. Now. No wonder there's so much movement and change. He's compensating, right? Because the movement is happening. Great, great movement. I like Joseph so much. What a lesson for Joseph. We all like certain parts of Joseph. We don't like the dungeon too much, but uh, right? So Joseph finds himself in a bad place. But Joseph was an interesting person. He once goes from bad to bad to bad. I mean, his own brothers sell him. And then he ends up like at this house and he's doing really well and then this, this wife does him in and, and lies about him. And he ends up at the very bottom of an Egyptian jail. No one knows where he is. His own brother, father thinks he's dead. His brothers have sold him. Talking about alone, right? Here's the most amazing thing though. Joseph didn't stop hearing from God nor did he stop being fruitful. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined but while, but while Joseph was there in the prison, by the way, his name means he shall add. I like this a lot because my first name's Joe. So I wish they'd have added the F, the Joseph, but they just call me Joe. So I'm Joe Michael. I asked my mom about that, but she didn't have a good answer. Well, it's because I'm a relative, but anyway. But while Joe was there in pr prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Huh. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. <laughs> he just kept getting demoted and demoted, but wherever he was, he did well, and he ruled and reigned in the demotion, right? 
Can I say that again? He kept getting demoted and demoted, but wherever he went, he became the king of the demotion. <laughs> so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention or anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So again, what I was saying on the outline there, a lifestyle of problem-solving and giving to others caused the purpose and blessings God has for ours to grow. And of course, we know what ultimately happened to Joseph. So he interprets a couple of dreams. And then Pharaoh has this horrible dream trying to figure it out. And this guy says, you know, I was in jail at the time. You know, remember when you threw me in jail and it wasn't so good? Well, this, there's this Hebrew there and that guy can interpret dreams so they bring him all the way up to the king to interpret a dream. He does it and before we know it, he goes from the dungeon, actually went from the pit that his brothers threw him in to die. Uh, from there, he ends up in the dungeon and from there, what a ride, he ends up being in charge of everything all over Egypt and saves Egypt and his own country. What a ride. And I just think there's lessons in this, right? And God just met him there and kept him. He can't keep us down. We're all Josephs. That's why the story's there. And visions that we have, things that we need to see are carried along by prayer. And it's really important because God didn't leave you without a lifeline. Sometimes we get into these problems and we think, well, maybe God just left us without any recourse. But if you can pray, you have the only lifeline that you really need. Amen. Right? Luke 11. So I say to you, and here's something about the lifeline that you need and the persistence and something about cultivating whatever it is that you're looking for, whatever you want to happen. So I say to you, ask. And the verb tense there is keep on asking. So it's in that, that sort of thing. So literally it will be translated. So I say to you, keep on asking, it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives. The one who keeps on seeking finds. Did you see everyone in there? Was anybody left out of that one? I didn't see anybody left out. Everyone would include all of us, right? And to the one who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, give the presence of God. So when you have something that you want, a vision, something, a promise, you keep on asking, you keep on knocking, whatever that looks like. Sometimes I ask when I'm in the middle of something like that, I say, okay, God, what did I leave out? Is there anything possible that I can do more? Is there any other way I can knock? Is there any way that I can seek? Is there anything that I can do that, w- that would, uh, I can sow toward this situation? And sometimes he'll tell me just something very specific, you know. And actually, as you do that more and more, you sort of intuitively do that. You sort of look around, you know, you, you think of your, you know, hey, I'm going to sow toward that. Hey, you're always looking for something to sow. You're always looking for something you can put into the, a, a situation or someone else's negative situation. You develop this lifestyle because you know how this whole thing works and how, the, how it flows, right? So keep on asking, keep on knocking and showing compassion for other people. And we just see some examples on your outline of how various people uh, got God's attention, got heaven's attention. I really like to read these passages because they're pretty good, right? The whole whole subject right there, that whole line, how Solomon got heaven's attention, how everybody else gets God's attention. So let's look at Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 and following. 
At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you wish. Wow. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Can you imagine? (laughs) What would you do if God did that? Man, I'm mad. Oh, man. Some of you know exactly what you would ask. Some of us have to think about that for a while. We got four or five things, right? But he did. He did that. No. Well, that was just for Solomon. I mean, we're in the same place, except that we're different. At that time, Jesus' blood hadn't paid for everything. So we're even a more unique place, right? Solomon answered, well, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this very day. That was Solomon himself. You've given him me, right? You, you made me come along. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child, and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of God, of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, <laughs> but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. Now, this is great. So God is so generous. He loves us to have these kind of priorities. But he never, ever for one time forgets about us personally. Never. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, Then he gave a feast for all his court. Wow. Isn't it interesting how Solomon got heaven's attention? Can you get heaven's attention? Oh, don't you see it? The greatest treasure of all. You're a king and a priest. By the blood of Jesus Christ. You're in a better place than Solomon was in. Then you'll do everything in the world to talk you out of that place to make you feel small and insignificant, like what you pray and ask for, what you do, will never amount to anything. It's just the opposite. I love these verses. I want to go to uh, Isaiah 58, which is one of my my favorites. and uh, I I like it so much because it's God's chosen fast. It's something that's very similar, but it's almost as if like, okay, here's how to ask, seek, and knock. There are things on our side that pay huge dividends in our life. And it's almost always the opposite of which way we would think we would go. It's more generous. It's more caring. It's more than we would think, right? But always behind it, there's something amazingly special, right? So the solutions to our problems are right there in front of us, not the solutions that we've, you know, jumped over a tall mountain to find and we've researched and we've been Google. And we <laughs> when I'm in need or... When I want to prosper, I always look around. I just think, okay, what else? In our church, it's our vision. I want to be in the spaces 
that are helpful to our county, to our area. And we've paid a, a small price for that. By small price, I mean a little bit more chaos. A lot, well, I just say a lot more chaos <laughs> by investing the way we have. But it's worth it. First of all, to see redeemed lives and to see them come back from the dead. Some of those are right here in this room right now. You were in a horrible place. And because of the sowing that's been done, you're in a much better place. So we want to always be like that as a church. Not only because it's the right thing to do, but also it's the smart thing to do. <laughs> we say, well, I don't need any more money. Well, there might be one or three or five of you maybe <laughs> who don't need any more money. But what do you need? Ah, that's the question. What do you need? Health. A son or daughter do better. What do you need? Someone to say yes. Something to move. Right? Okay, look at this. Isaiah 58. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice. And See, there was fasting. and The Jews knew that when they fasted and prayed, there was extra sauce on it. There was something extra, right? They understood that. But then they made a religion out of the whole thing. Right, so he says, no, here's the kind of fasting I think is a good idea. If you want to do without, here, try this one for a while. To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free. We don't have to help the homeless. We get to help the homeless. We don't have to feed people. We get to feed them. Do you understand? It's our greatest privilege. And it pays huge dividends. Yes, there's a price to be paid. There's extra chaos and things running around, extra money we have to invest in security and this and that and da-da-da-da-da. Things that don't make sense, people doing the stupidest, craziest things. But look at this. To loose the chains of injustice and tie the yoke, cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Every yoke. Drug yokes. Every kind of yoke. Poverty yokes. Family yokes. Housing yokes, all of them. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Now, what happens as a result of that? Visions, promises, and faith. What happens to that? Look at that. Verse 8. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Fill in the blanks for what you need in those places. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You see, there's a solution to your problems. They just might not be in the direction you think. So somewhere else, outside of yourself, find something that God would have you do. And if you can't figure it out, just do what needs to be done. What's obvious? Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. Oh, you mean even my prayer life comes alive? Yeah. You can call. Ring me up on the phone. You'll cry for help, and, we'll, and he will say, hey, here I am. If you do with the way with the yoke of oppression and with the pointing figure and malicious talk. Oh. Okay, so be careful who you're pointing at, who you're judging, whether they're authority figures or your next-door neighbor. 
Be careful with your malicious talk, right? And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. Man, what a good deal. And your light will become like noonday. Wow. I'll read that again. Oh, you can even go on. The whole chapter is great. He'll guide you always. That's the next verse. He'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He'll strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people rebuild the ancient ruins. Well, all comes from this thing. We don't have to feed people. We get to. Are you kidding me? Look at all this. Constant guidance. Your light will rise in the darkness. You'll satisfy those needs, and God satisfies your needs. You'll build the ancient ruins. You'll raise up age-old foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken walls, restorers of streets with dwellings. I can't think of a better calling to be called as a church, a body, a nation, than we're repairing the dwellings. We're restoring places for people to live. We're, we, we, that's the church's cause. That's the church's ability. We have the ability to do that, even when everybody else is messing up spectacularly. Wow. What promise? Cultivating the field of dreams. It's amazing how it goes. We look in Acts chapter 10. We see these themes uh, all over the place. Uh, I love Acts uh, chapter 10. It's the story of Cornelius, right? So this guy is the guy that uh, is the first Gentile convert, right? That's when they really understood that the gospel was for the Gentiles. So the question is, how in the world did this guy get this dubious honor, right? Okay, so... um, I want to read uh, verse 30. So Peter comes to his house. He's a Gentile, but he tells what happened and why he invited Peter. Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me. This is what he says. This is an angel. And he said, you know what, Cornelius? God has heard your prayer. So first of all, he's praying. He's praying. Actually, God likes that, evidently. Right? And remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to the Joppa for Simeon, who is called P- Simeon, Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home, home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. There's a bunch of Gentiles. And the Jews didn't even know at that time that the Gentiles were supposed to be a part of this. They were just, they, they were messed up about the Samaritan getting a little bit of uh, this. You know, they didn't want anything to do with this, right? But God solved the issue. And who is the one that opened the door? Some guy that's remembering the poor and praying. That guy. You know, I think I'll choose him to open the door to the whole rest of the world. Is that obvious or what? Wow. He was sowing money. Didn't know there was salvation in Jesus Christ available. And he got the true treasure. And then we see another couple of funny things. You know, the story of Job's pretty funny. You know, it's just a really difficult, difficult situation, you know. Job found himself in. And finally he gets restored and finally gets vindicated after lots of abuse by his friends and a horrible amount of suffering. And then God says, uh, you guys are wrong. Job is right. Then he looks at Job and says, you know, but you got to get rid of this bad attitude. Job, won't you pray for your friends? <laughs> oh, I don't know how easy that came. 
I mean, we got dead, dead children laying around. I mean, we got some huge suffering. You just don't get over that, right? And these guys are yakking in here telling them that it's your fault, your sin, your failure, and that's the reason why all this happened. So on top of that, they're piling on, and now God says, you know, I, I see, here I am, but I need you to give something else more precious than maybe you would like to give. Would you please give forgiveness now? Oh, man, I think Job might have struggled with that once or twice. I mean, oh, you want me to pray for these guys? See, you know, I've been having this battle with them. They've been telling me I'm the reason why this happened, blah, blah, blah. They've been accusing me, pushing on me, making me feel horrible, not comforting me one bit, and you want me to pray for them. Yes, Job, please pray for them. That's what God says. After Job prayed for his friends, okay, can I just... I think there might be some people in this place today. You're bitter. You're angry. You don't want anything good to happen to that ex-wife, ex-husband, or whoever it is that did you in, right? So Job's right. Maybe you're right, and somebody messed around with you and just stole everything. You're right. And maybe they were even a believer, and you were right. You knew you did the right thing. You didn't deserve this. You didn't deserve the divorce or whatever else, right? And so guess what? Or you got abused or somebody did something that shouldn't have. They were another other believer and they should have known better and they didn't. And then they're accusing you of the problem. Sounds like a divorce to me. Right? So God says, you know what, guys? You are wrong about everything you said. But then he looks at Job and he goes, hmm, I really want to bless Job now. I've got this little bitty critical thing going on there. <laughs> he needs to get rid of this, right? He's been vindicated, yes, but he's still mad. So Job, this is what I'd like to say to you. Would you please pray for your friends? I'm thinking, he don't want to pray for his friends. That's why God has him do it. Another seed is sown, right? So he's cultivating his field of dreams. He's trying to get it back, the prosperity back. Guess what happens? After Job had prayed for his friends, that's absolutely a form of giving. It's absolutely a part of this equation. He had him pray for the very people that was doing him in. Would God cause us to do that? <laughs> absolutely. But look what happens. The Lord restored his fortunes at that moment. They were wrong all along, but he waited until Job prayed for them. And at that moment, he restored, he restored his fortunes, fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in the house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former, and it's double everything. He gets double back for his trouble. That's when if you hear me say double back for your trouble, it's right here, right? He gets everything back, right? And then he lives a, after this 140 more years. Wow. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. So Job died an old man and full of years, meaning full of grace. What a great passage. Isn't that great? So the question is, are you good news in the midst of your bad news? Again, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Don't judge, and you'll not be judged. Do not condemn, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. 
Give and it will be given to you. A good measure. Pressed and it will be worth it. What an investment. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. We pour into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Wow. So I want to finish the end of your outline here with patience and promises. Visions and promises from scriptures are invitations, but patience and faith are required to bring them to fruition. So I want to prove it to you with a couple of passages. We already actually have been hitting on this already. And without faith, Hebrews 11:6, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place, he would, be, he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he is looking forward to the city with foundations. So what we're talking about is we inherit promises. Sometimes there's this downtime, right? But the most important thing is we do it in faith. Whatever we do, we do in faith. And we do it in response to what we think God's telling us to do. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful. Oh, no. Lord. Janice, could you get this again? Thank you. Could you get that to her? Because she... <laughs> that's actually a prophetic thing. that just happened there. Lord, I just pray for my son David right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I consider you faithful who made the promises. So, Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would deliver him from evil and everybody else's son, Lord, that maybe needs deliverance. I pray in the name of Jesus. Everyone that's got a child that maybe is having difficulty, sick, ill, physically, mentally, emotionally, away from the Lord. Lord, we just consider you faithful who make the promise. All right. Did I finish reading that passage? I'm in Hebrews. It's a good one. No, I didn't. Yes, I did. No, I didn't. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand on the seashore. <laughs> he must have been a little older. He's as good as dead. And it, all these descendants come pouring forth, right? Wow. Patience and faith. He uses our example here. And if we look at, uh, this is one of my favorites, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 to 39. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Hear that? You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, and what the will of God may be is probably several things, but one of them may be some sowing toward this answer. You'll receive what he's promised, for in just a little while he was coming, will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. Wow. So nobody's going to avoid that one as a Christian. There's always going to be a situation where God's going to make it, so you've got to live by faith, right? So you might as well settle that right now, right? We just might as well take that yoke right on us because this is going to be your part of your, your journey. And I take no, no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. That is the one who gives up. Oh, boy, 
That one hurts. Lord, I just pray right now for everyone that's given up. You know you're giving up because you have a bad attitude. You feel hopeless on the inside. And maybe you're just tired of praying or don't want to even be around Christian people anymore. But we do not shrink, belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. What a magnificent passage. God tests us with visions and promises. In the end, we receive our hopes and visions. And you know what happens in the end? We're changed by the whole process. So we see the craziest thing. Abraham gets his son. But then, wouldn't you know it, he gets tested again. Enough of the testing already. He believed. Oh, Lord. Sometime later... God tested Abraham. So if God tested Abraham, could my cousins get tested? Oh, yeah. No matter how smart he thinks he is, no matter far how spiritually promoted he feels. Oh, here I am, he replied. <laughs> so he's thinking, God says aloud, Abraham, and he's thinking about all this success and all those blessings. Hey, here I am. What you need? Uh, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Could he have said anything worse? Wow. So they're to the place. He takes Isaac up there. You can see... Abraham must have been so depressed. Isaac speaks up eventually. He says, hey, Dad, yeah? Well, I see the fire in the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, this is powerful, God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham had built an altar there, built an altar, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. You know what? This walk with God's not for the faint of heart, is it? Ooh. Yeah. Abraham. We love you, Abraham. Father Abraham. I can't wait to see you, Abraham. Wow. Look what he went through. Then he reached out the, his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Oh, we like that place. We don't like all the things that went before that place, but we like that place. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. What an amazing thing. What an amazing story. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, let's go there again. I want to just read verse 17. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice he would embrace the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, 
It's through Isaac that your offspring will be blessed, will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So that's a little inside information. This guy's faith was so strong, he said, well, even if I kill my son, God will raise him from the dead. That's how far his faith had grown. That's how far he had developed. I think that development's the same thing for us. I think especially when we see our dreams crushed, you know what? Even God can raise that from the dead. There's nothing out of bounds for me. Sometimes we think, well, there's things that are out of bounds. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too poor. I'm too this or that. Nothing's outside of God's vision. Nothing's outside of God's possibilities. He just wants us to respond in faith. He has this amazing habit, right? There comes a time when a promise is made more certain, however. It's not so flaky. And so we see here, God's so impressed with him. We see this amazing uh, story here, in, uh, what he, God says in uh, Genesis 22, uh, verses 15 to 19. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Did you know that we right here sitting in the United States of America all these centuries later are living in the blessing of Abraham because in Abraham's offspring were the Jews and the Jews brought Jesus and Jesus brought salvation to the whole world and now there's a new people of God not only the Old Testament but the New Testament people of God and all of us are walking in the footsteps of our father Abraham what an incredible story amen let's all stand so if I could have the ministry come up ministry team come you know, uh, one thing that's interesting to me about praying for each other and offering prayer up is sometimes you'll pray and you'll pray and you don't know when it's going to stick, when the thing finally moves, right? So you're just diligent in continuing to pursue the Lord. And you never know exactly when that moment will come where the turning comes, Right? It might be the first or the 50th. That's why Jesus said to keep on knocking, keep on asking, seek on, keep on seeking. There's something about that asking that actually completes the circuit. It honors the Lord. It causes something in the heart of God to uh, be released because by the time you've prayed for the thing by the 50th time, you're praying, but you're praying out of your need. And you're praying exactly in this place where Abraham is going to do another religious exercise before God, but seemingly somehow kill the very dream, right? Sometimes when we get so long after asking God for something, sometimes we get to a place where I just can't ask anymore. Bad mistake. Keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. When I preach today, I think that I'm touching a nerve. I think I'm touching something 
that's amazing today because sometimes people find themselves in the middle of a sermon, a gathering like that after they heard the word, responding. And they respond, and that's the last step. You never know sometimes how close you are to a miracle. You just persist and persist, and then finally there's one day where you prayed, and that was it. It's over. The trial's over. The thing's been granted. And you're moving on with God, right? So I just think today it might be one of those days, given the subject matter I am. So I have a whole three, four, five, six, seven people to pray. I wonder if there might be anybody else in this congregation that might be willing to pray for someone that might need it today. If you would, just come up. The reason why I like to do that is where two or three gather together. There God is. So when you pray in groups of two or three, it's amazing what happens. And I just think there's some divine appointments here. You came to this service. And in this service, whether you get prayed for by one of these people, you could just stay in your own seat if you like, your own place, if you like. But I just think there's a crossroads here for some people. Especially if you've been in that really knocked out place where you just didn't feel like you had any hope left and didn't feel like there was anything left in the tank and that God gave up on you. I assure you, if it's important to you, it's important to God. And if you've even prayed one time, believe me, about anything, God's interested. So Lord, I want this to be a persistence day. I pray this would be a, for some of us today, a put it in the hole day. The last shot in a whole string of journeys we've made down the old golf course to see something brought home, see something fulfilled, see something come to pass that we've been dreaming of. Sometimes you never know where you're at exactly in that whole thing. But I'm asking as a result of what I spoke today, I pray, God, that there would be people that would actually enter in, Lord, that would actually get a breakthrough, that as they come and pray to you again, offer up intercession again for that lost son or daughter, that situation with their bank account, that situation with their job, that situation with their job, that place of of isolation, desolation. I pray God today as the saints of God worship and lift their prayers up once again. I pray the wind would catch the prayers. And I pray, O Lord, like Abraham, we would see the will of God fulfilled. I pray you would strengthen the faith that's gone dry, any wickless dying out, no flame left, anybody that's sort of turned their back on the Lord, anybody that's just put something on hold that's of great importance to them, they put it on hold because they think, well, I'm just going to have to endure and they'll just have to live this as a defeat. I declare today, no one has to live anything as a defeat. Whatever is interested in, what you're interested in, God's interested in. He may help you with that, shape it, form it, but God's definitely in the business of helping you. Visions, promises, and faith. Today, Lord, I ask you today that as we lift these holy prayers up to you, prayers that haven't been prayed maybe for months or years because we gave up, I pray, God, that you would move today. I pray there would be movement and change. I pray, oh, Lord, where there's people we need to forgive, things we need to do, would you speak that to our mind? Tell us what it is that we can still give toward this. What is, if there's other things that we need to sow toward this, answer. What is it that you want us to do? How do you want us to respond? I pray the will of God will become so absolutely crystal clear to you. 
not only today, but maybe the next few days. You would know what you're supposed to do. How do I walk that out? Do I forgive? Do I give? Do I respond? Do not respond? What do I do? What's my part in this journey? And I pray, O oh Lord, that we would see an avalanche of answered prayer. I pray we would see visions fulfilled, promises fulfilled, things that we've been thinking about for a long time suddenly come about. Things that we thought were dead, I declare today, are breathing in life again. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you all.